Hello and welcome to the Amplifier Podcast, the show where the best in business discuss how you can grow your business best. I'm Wyatt McPherson, I produce this show, and this week our host Don Cooper is joined by Lee Benson for his final of three episodes with us. Lee is the founder and CEO of Execute to Win, a company that greatly prides itself on assisting businesses with improving their results in areas that matter with simple and sustainable changes to how teams approach work. And in this episode, Don and Lee will be discussing the immense impact that having the proper leadership and employee conversations can have on your business's growth and why a lot of companies think about these topics incorrectly. It is a fantastic conversation, so make sure you subscribe and check out our other two episodes with Lee. But with all of that said, I truly do hope that you enjoy this episode of the Amplifier Podcast. You mentioned um, <clears throat> mapping the, the most important number. Can, how does that work? I mean, obviously, the, at the leadership team, you're setting a goals and strategies. And then how far does the leadership team go down themselves in terms of understanding and making sure that the most important numbers are in alignment with supporting the mission, the vision of the, of the organization? Our, our job as a senior leadership team is to make sure that it's all mapped appropriately. Right. So let's, let's do a, like a little uh, example here. If, if uh, we're a for-profit business um, and you want to position your company at any point in time to be worth the most possible money because you never know what could happen and you may have to sell. Yep. And, you, and at, the, at any point in time, you want an equally good option to be keeping the company. It's probably going to be some version of profit. And if EBITDA is a common you know, multiplier for what you're going to get, um, let's make EBITDA the most important number. Um, you could argue cash flow is, could be the most important number. So, but generally it's profit. Now we go to finance. What's the most important number for finance? And, and a lot of them would say, well, it's the profit too. And I said, well, no, I think it's um, in most cases, it's going to be um, cash flow because finance's job is to deliver information to uh, teams, team leaders, really every employee in a way that they can look at it, make better decisions that drive positive cash flow for the organization and pro profitability goes with that. And I, I often ask when I go into a new client and the CFO is sitting there, they have these wildly complicated reports. I can go through it for hours. Wow, you've got everything here. And then I ask the senior leaders at the table, how are you using this financial data to make better decisions? And with few exceptions, most of them don't have anything meaningful. And it's way worse as you go past that level. So <laughs> their most important number becomes cash flow and is providing information to make better decisions. Um, let's say we go over to HR what would be their most important number? And most of them start out saying, well, it's, it's turnover, it's employee satisfaction, it's a lot of things like that. And I said, well, I don't, I don't think so. I think your most important number directionally is more along the lines of percent seats in the organization filled with capable people. If you had, for example, 100 employees and 10 positions were currently open, we need to fill them and 10 positions were filled with people that were too far below the waterline and what they can um, uh, produce, you know, given that role, then you're currently at 80%. And HR provides the tools, the training, everything with a whole intent, you know, where they directly control it or influence it to get to 100% of the seats filled with capable people that can produce the outcomes that we're looking for. And then you just go one senior leader after the next. And then as you get below those levels to sub teams, what are their most important numbers and whatever they are, it when, when it improves, it has to improve the next one up and all the way to the top of the organization. So you're, you're not talking that many levels, even with 40,000 employees, I think it only goes down about six levels, seven in a couple of cases. 
pretty easy to go look at that and map it. And, and each functional leader's job is to go map it. And, and I, you know, I don't know who our listening audience is, you know, is it typically small, mid-sized companies, you know, a few large companies, uh, but this makes it a really simple process to, to verify and train and encourage, you know, cross-functional collaboration to where it just becomes the way we operate. Now, from time to time, when you have somebody that has excuses for everything, and well, it just, you know, this didn't work or that didn't work, or I'm waiting for it to work. You know, I, I look at some of these leaders and, and, and it's too bad that they developed that perspective, but they set back arms folded waiting for the world to be perfect. And when it is, then they'll be happy and it'll all work. No, you actually have to do something. And, and uh, a leader's job, if the world was perfect, we, they wouldn't need us. Everybody would just do what, you know, what they should do to create the most value possible. But I can't think of any day, you know, in companies that I've had over 100 employees where everything was perfect. I mean, there was things that were amazing. There's a hurricane over there. There's a nice sandy beach over there. And our job is to hold all that together and solve those problems. Yeah, I mean, I, the, the, what I call excusitis or explain away the bad performance. You know, it's easy to justify all the bad things that happen every day that led you to not perform. Like it's, and particularly if you have that mindset, but if you flip that script and go, yeah, I've had a couple of bad weeks or we've had a bad month in my department and here's what we're going to do to fix it as opposed to here's why it happened. I, I don't, you know, I don't like looking in the rearview mirror other than to learn from it. So what we, you can improve, not justify it so that you don't change. Mm -hmm. I, I agree with you. And, and for me, I try to cut that off almost immediately in, in the meetings. It's, hey, what did, you, what did you do with the intent to move the needle? What worked? What didn't work? What are you going to change going forward? And then next week, we talk about it again. And it's really just that. And if oh, you don't know how to do it, it'll expose itself pretty, pretty quickly. And it's a simple retroactive process, uh, retrospective process that works really well. What did you do? What was your intent? What did you expect? What worked? What didn't work? What actually happened? And what are you going to change based on it? And if you do that consistently over time, a lot of these um, low performers, um, I didn't mention it earlier, but for every 10 that I used to have to fire back in the, those aerospace days, once we changed, um, we saved six or seven out of 10 into solid middle performers. That's a win. Like, let's say, let's save everybody if we can. It's not possible probably, but let's, let's try. You, uh, you had spent some time being interviewed by or interviewed or on stage with Jack Welsh. And Jack always had this methodology of, of removing the bottom 10%. Uh, in the context of um, <laughs> the most important number, how do you, how, how do you reconcile that? Yeah, you know, it's always interesting how the media and business experts, gurus will describe something else with that yeah. really are never in the game and aren't right. even thinking an inch deep on what it would take to accomplish it. So imagine you've got 400,000 employees and I, you know, you know, bless his heart, great friend when he, and I was so sad to see him pass. But imagine we had lots of conversations about this. You have 400,000 employees. And you're telling everybody that they they uh, need to hit their goals, and the ones that aren't capable enough in their roles, you need to help them find another job. And you've got 400,000 employees. You've communicated this, 
And then what happens is people have been working together a long time. They're going to church together. Their families are having dinner together. They can't fire Bob or Susie or anyone because they're, they just can't deliver that news. They become friends. And I would argue in a company that size at any point in time, probably closer to 15% of the folks are not in the right role and they mm -hmm. should be doing something else. So he basically just said, look, I, it's not working asking people to do this, so I'm going to force it. And he said the problem with it was some of the teams, they're all high performing, but they still had to do it anyway, and that was terrible. But on average, it worked out way better for the organization. They wouldn't do what he asked, and so he had to force it with this policy. So I get it for the shareholders and for all the high performing employees, this actually was probably a really good thing. Now, what he told me, and this is back 2008, uh, when he first looked at my operating methodology, I was using the aerospace companies. He said, hey, you know what? This is, and we spent nine and a half hours at his home in Florida going through it. And he said, this is the best business management system I've ever seen, ever. And had I had it at GE, the results would have been exponentially better because it would just show you who um, you know, was too far below the waterline or, or not. Um, and I said, well, you, I asked the question, you're, you're CEO of the century here, manager of the century. Um, please explain that to me. Like, how would you have used this? What would have been different? And he said, for everything you heard about General Electric and how we develop people and Crotonville and all of this stuff, the, in his view, the best they could ever do was fully follow, position, and develop the top 500-ish leaders in the organization. He said, with these tools he, that we developed at that time, and they're way more advanced now, um, he says he personally could have done that, followed, uh, developed, and, and tracked the top 2,000. And with that explanation, yep, you're right, the results would have been exponentially better. And it would have just been easier for leaders to manage this process all the way to the front line uh, like that. So uh, what, what he wanted to get at, he did it the best way that he could, given 400,000 employees, available technology, um, processes, systems, and all of that. And, and I believe he really cared about the fact that how you make the numbers is more important than actually making the numbers. Because you said earlier, that's, those behaviors are what would actually drive Absolutely. the numbers. So yeah, I've I've, I've yeah, read yeah. and and watched anything and everything that Jack has, has ever been has ever written, and you know you know the media can sometimes portray him as ruthless, but you know I think he was he was he was he was intentional. I think he cared about his people. You know the fact that he had such a strong leadership development system speaks mm -hmm. to a culture where he cared. And I think he, and the reason that he was so successful is not because he was ruthless, it's because he cared. And, um, you know, the, the perception of some of those uh, non-empathetic sort of spins is a lack of understanding of the, of the entire operating system, what he was trying to do. I think often, you know, many leaders can get perceived that way that I am trying to, I'm trying to build this great thing and take, create a great place for employees and create great value for shareholders. And there's, I'll, there's always multiple stakeholders that you're trying to create value for. And you know, I think the, the, the important thing for leaders is to make sure that they're communicating to all stakeholders, the value and the mission of what they're trying to do so that they're, you don't create these silos of perception. Yeah, totally, totally agree. Um, 
most people won't take the time to understand why somebody did something. They have their own confirmation biases and, and filters. And we're not gonna make everybody happy. We just have to do the best that we possibly can, um, have great intentions, um, yeah, really care about the people. It's gotta be win-win for the customers, the, the shareholders and every employee inside the organization. And as long as we're doing that, you know, so what if we have a couple of detractors? That's just the way it goes. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I think trying to trying to make everyone happy all the time is uh, is another version of perfectionism and ideal that uh, you can't achieve, right? Uh, it's it's just not possible. Yeah, there's. Um, I don't know if you want to hear the story about how I actually met Jack. It was it was yeah, pretty please. interesting. Yeah, just a couple of minutes. Um, um, he was he was teaching this course um, around 2000. 7 2008 uh, when I first met him and it was um, you know leadership in action it was Jack Welch's um, management methodologies and he was facilitating two and a half full days from before breakfast breakfast all the way through dinner happy hour I mean this guy had so much energy it was incredible so day one we're sitting in the room limited it to 100 people to be there everybody paid ten thousand dollars for the course to sit there and of course I'm right up front at, at the table next to the podium and, and the first exercise that day was somebody state um, their mission and supporting values from each table and, you know, take five minutes to discuss it, then each table reports out and we'll talk about it as a group. So our table gets called on first. And as we were discussing it, nobody, there's this, you know, multi-billion dollar global construction company, a giant bank and an energy company. Nobody knew their stuff. They like knew a piece of a value and part of a mission. I said, well, I know ours, it's in my bones, um, I'll go. And so I state the mission and, and he goes, oh, that's, that's fantastic. Um, which was to safely reduce aircraft operating costs by providing resourceful component repair, overhaul and approved replacement parts solutions. He goes, great. Now, what are your what are your values? And I said, well, we threw values out for the reasons I stated earlier. And we came up with a set of these behaviors. Here's what we wanted to accomplish. Here's the behaviors. And then there was this really long, uncomfortable silence. And I thought, well, maybe I don't belong in the room. I'm just going to crawl out of here right now. And, and he goes, that's perfect. I wouldn't change anything. And then as he goes around the room, I realized why he paused because everybody else had something that was more about look good, feel good, sound good, but not something right. meaty you could sink your teeth into to make a difference. So we go to lunch. everyone else had aspirational values. Yeah, it's like a marketing company put it together for them, but their employees clearly weren't involved in it. And so we go to lunch the first day and there's an elevated table in the room and, and it's got you know Jack Welch on it and everybody that drew to set with him. I sit down, I take my first bite and he plumps right down next to me and says, I've done this thousands of times. Nobody's ever gotten it right till you. How the hell did you do it? And, and he blew off his table and we sat there talking. And I said, well, I, I just believe if, if everything we do is done with the intent to make the organization measurably better um, and alignment tools should pass that test, that um, this is the only place you could go. And so we're kind of going down, obviously he did it at such a bigger scale than I ever did, but um, we're, we're gonna go down the same road, pass the same road signs. Um, it's gonna be the same as long as we're applying math, common sense, logic, and actual facts uh, to improving here. And, and we became, you know, he, got, he was fascinated with the operating system, what we did, um, even the Jack Welch Management Institute folks came out, shot lots of video of, of my manufacturing plant, um, the work that we were doing. I taught classes to their, um, their students and their faculty um, and uh, alumni. 
um, really, really got involved in, in all of that. But it was it was that meeting that caused it to, to happen. You wowed Jack Welch. <laughs> we're, we're just I couldn't have been more aligned. I mean, it just we, we yeah. start talking and, you know, hours can go by and I, I could I could talk to him forever. I mean, the guy was we're just really aligned. I didn't I never thought about it as a celebrity or a guru. Oh, yeah, no, no, I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree 100 percent. You know, it, yeah. it feels like, you, you know, you just, like I said, you wowed him by checking the boxes of, you know, something in him said, well, this guy gets it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're scientists further solving the same problem. That's right. what it felt like. Yeah. 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 Um, what's, you know, in, in entrepreneurial businesses, you know, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, who have really dove into, you know, certain masterminds and certain methodologies. We're students of this stuff, trying to figure out the magic sauce of how to make our businesses and our people more successful. Um, what about the leadership team that works with the entrepreneur? What's their role in driving this culture, creating accountability, having the right meetings, and having that alignment? Like, what, what should they be doing on a regular basis? Yeah, the, the simplest way to answer that, it goes back to this organization designed to create value. What's that senior leadership team's most important number? And constantly asking the question, what does this have to do with the men or most important number? And, and if it's not improving it, we're not going to do it. And then if I'm responsible for one functional group, I need to make sure every single team member in the team and their, their team members in that functional group are doing things that will move the needle on their most important numbers um, over all the other things that uh, would do it to a lesser degree or not at all. That's really, it's, it's that simple. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna try to help uh, and do a shout out to some of my leadership team. I'm gonna ask you uh, what the mins should be for this team. So my, I, know, I know my team will listen to this. So from a sales leadership standpoint, a marketing leadership standpoint, and an operations point of view at the leadership level, what do you think their men should be? So um, you said sales, operations. And marketing. And, it, and marketing. Okay. So sales, um, you know, a lot of organizations kind of go back and forth on, is it a number or is it profitable sales? Because a lot of the salespeople have no control over price, et cetera. Uh, but sales, in my view, is all about profitable sales, and that's it. And so their most important number directionally would be that. When it comes to marketing, I think it's 100% qualified leads. And then what is a qualified lead? So we need to improve the number of them and then the quality of the qualified leads. And I think it's helpful to define um, really clearly what that qualified lead looks like. Um, it looks like this. We're going to close uh, when they come in. I don't know what's what's realistic, but we're going to close at least if we get 10, 30 percent to 40 percent are going to close. Uh, we could get 100 leads, but only 10 are qualified because they meet the, these criteria and we close 30 to 40 percent when they come in. Um, from an operations standpoint, um, if, if this is manufacturing, they're developing products. Is that right? Uh, we're a field contractor, effectively engineering services in the field. Okay, um, so any of these projects that you have, um, it should be the gross profitability from those projects. 
Now, um, we're, we need to complete this project. Um, here are all the tools, resources that we have to complete it. At the end of the day, we want to meet the requirements for the, for the client and leave as much uh, uh, left over as possible. And that's it. Now, um, whether or not you, sales has to give a 10% reduction or whatever that happens to be to get the work given the competitive environment, it really doesn't matter. Whatever price we sold it for, our job is to make sure we do it, meet the requirements on time, um, under budget, et cetera, leave as much on the table given that price. And then uh, backing up the sales for a little bit, I'm not sure if you have a pricing policy, but a pricing policy that I've adopted in virtually all of my businesses is this, it's to charge the highest price we can while being the best value alternative and encouraging future business. And, and we never, we, we never want to gouge people or do anything that they'll tell 10 friends and never do business with us again. And that pricing policy has served me really well. I mean, I, I know this is really obvious, but if the highest price you can charge while being the best value alternative is hypothetically $1,000 and it costs you $1,500 to produce it, you can't charge $1,600. They won't pay for it. The market bears a thousand. So what can we do in operations to get it down to 400 bucks to do that? If if a thousand dollars is what the market will bear and it costs you a dollar to do it, you charge a thousand dollars because yep. it's the best value alternative, you know, out there. So that's how I would think about their their most important numbers. Does that resonate? Yeah, no, hundred percent. And you know the you know the connection there that you made between sales and operations is so important because if the market will bear a thousand dollars and it's costing you fifteen hundred to do it, well, that's called bankruptcy. <laughs> right yeah and yeah. you know and so yeah. you know we don't need we don't need our operations team to explain that it, it, it has to be fifteen hundred dollars to do it if the market will bear a thousand the operations team needs to figure out how to optimize to lower costs to use resources differently to make it yeah. profitable within the mission of the business and that might mean lots of different changes in terms of how they operate so that they can still contribute to the most important number of the business, which, you know, is EBITDA, you know, for, for at least for our business. And I think for most yeah. businesses. Yeah. So their job to leave as much on the table as possible. Um, going back to the aerospace days where we had products, we would start something with that maybe had 15% margin or even losing a little bit, knowing that once our engineering team got done developing um, all the processes and replacement parts and everything else, it'll be 80% within a year. And, and so we're always thinking that way. And a lot of clients we start working with, I'm blown away at how many still do bottom-up pricing. We, the CFO says, we want to hit a 35% margin target. They bottom up it and here's the price. And then I go out and I ask and the market would bear twice that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Lee, any, any final thoughts on your methodology on what, what is something that people should take away from, from this conversation? Yeah, there's, there's always a better way than we can think of today. And it's your job to find it if you're a leader. And, you know, what, what we put together here, this mind methodology, it's literally decades of figuring out what works um, and, and understanding what doesn't work, why it doesn't work. And if you want to know more about it, uh, you can go to um, a website, just go to maxyourmen.com. Uh, you can download a copy of the um, uh, the playbook for the mind methodology. It's a high level description overview of what this thing looks like. Um, but if you're listening to this, you're, you're a student of uh, creating value and you want to create it faster. And 
I applaud any and all efforts to do that. And if someone wants to jump right in and get started with you, how do they how do they do, they do that? Um, download the playbook. There's contact information there. ETW.com is our primary website. But if you want that playbook, go to maxyourmen.com uh, to get it. And you can reach out to me directly at lee at ETW.com. Happy to get back to you. Fantastic. I really love this conversation. I think our listeners will get a ton out of it. I hope all of my team listens to it and they get a ton out of it. Um, the connection between culture and financial results, it's the missing link in all of these methodologies of getting people to think about the operating system as behaviors. And those behaviors create the outcomes that you decide and they also create the outcomes that you decide to accept. I, I agree. It's been nice for me having a conversation with you, Don, because you get this stuff. And that's a pretty small percentage of leaders out there. So I applaud you as well. I'm, I'm, I didn't create any of it. I simply went looking for these answers and studied everything that I possibly could over the last 10 years or so. And, and still every day, burn the tires, sometimes spin my wheels and, and gradually make progress with my own teams uh, where we're getting this tighter and tighter all the time. And, you know, what I want for our listeners is for them to be able to find an operating system where they're having fun in their business because they're being successful. And uh, when you do that, life is just so much more pleasurable when you're just being successful because you found that magic formula. And I think uh, what you're doing is absolutely fantastic. And it's, it's the only system that I've seen that really resonates with culture and results in a way that is exactly how my brain works, but you articulated it way better than me. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. It's a, it's a journey and it's important to me to still be on the front lines with teams out there and our clients. So even though I, I sold companies for nine figure exits and I'm, I've done incredibly well, I don't have to work for the next couple hundred years. This is my passion. I love doing this work. And I, I do the work with frontline teams, middle management teams, senior leadership teams weekly to make sure that I'm constantly learning because there's nothing worse than the, the speaker out at the guru on the speaking tour that couldn't do the job they're telling us how to do to save themselves, right? Yep. So I, I, I need to be there and I can't lose touch with it. I never will. Fantastic. Maxyourmen.com, folks. Go and grab this playbook and uh, check out what Lee's got going on because I think it will, uh, it will help transform your business. Thanks for coming on the show, Lee. All right. Thank you, Don. And there you have it. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this episode of the Amplifier Podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with Lee or Don and discover more of what each of them and their businesses can do for you, then you can check them out at any time by following their links in this episode's description. Make sure you leave a five-star rating on the show. It truly does help us out a lot. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. With all of that said, though, I truly do hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the Amplifier Podcast, and we shall see you next time.